Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to another edition of Moving to Live. As you heard in the intro, we are a podcast for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados. We truly believe that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Make it a lifestyle and not just an activity. Move often, move frequently, move in different ways. I'm excited to have our guest from two weeks ago back today for part two of our interview. We're here with Ryan Whitehead. Paragon Athletics in Flagstaff, Arizona. In part one, you heard about some of his travels around the world, starting as a high school football player in Arkansas and eventually ending up in Flagstaff, where he and his wife co-own a fitness facility. Ryan, I want to thank you for coming back and talking to Moving to Live for part two of the interview. Thank you for having me back. The question that I really wanted to get answered that I forgot to ask when I interviewed you two weeks ago is, how did you pick Flagstaff? You talked two weeks ago about how you really had an affinity for the West and you just kind of fell in love with it. And I know there's all kinds of mountain towns, numerous ones in Arizona and Colorado, Wyoming. How did you pick Flagstaff? Um, Flagstaff uh, has a lot of climbing and I, I actually did take, back when people used maps, um, I took a compass and went around mountain towns in the west and i went out eight hours from all of these different mountain towns uh and when i got to flagstaff arizona and went eight hours around in circumference i thought this could be a very good place to live and that was probably my main uh way i decided to move here that's a good way now 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 that would probably take you about five minutes on google maps to figure that out yeah, right. <laughs> so when we left you two weeks ago, you talked about how your wife had left her job and gone back to school, and then you got laid off from your job, 
and you realize that, hey, if we want to secure our financial security, we need to do something to control it. So you rented a warehouse and started a gym that is what we know today as Paragon Athletics. So if somebody asks you, they walk into the gym, they see the sign outside, and they say, what's Paragon Athletics? What do you tell them it is? So Paragon, my, my vision for Paragon was to provide uh, insights into your health that are usually reserved to clinics preemptively. Um, and so we started using this term prehab uh, almost about 10 years ago. Um, and now prehab uh, has, in my mind, evolved into uh, a whole new thing. So, but that was our original concept and still is our, our original concept is prevention. You know, if, so I had been hurt with, in climbing. Uh, I sat out for most of the season uh, and we would go to these climbing areas because my wife is a climber as well. And I would sit, she would climb and I'd suck my thumb for until we left. So, um, and it took me most of a year to get help. Uh, and I finally found help and I thought, well, if, if, if I knew this, if I had this information about a shoulder beforehand, that would have been very helpful because it was a rough year. Um, so I dove headlong into uh, understanding biomechanics um, and started attending courses um, that were typically reserved for clinicians and professionals. Uh, it's amazing what they'll let you attend if you're willing to pay the money. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I think I bugged some people along the way, and I, I totally understand that. Um, so I actually just did a knee and shoulder course in Chicago. Uh, so, but that, um, that was my original idea with Paragon, is we want to provide those, those insights preemptively. And how many members does Paragon have? You know, now we're probably at around 250 or 300, something like that. So I know you're an atypical gym. You talked about how you didn't like working in a big box gym. Uh-huh. Somebody walks into Paragon. We're not a video podcast. We're just audio. What are they going to see other than the fact that if you only have 250 members, you're a little smaller than a big box gym. What are they going to see that's different than what you would see and what you think of as your typical gym? You know, the big, long, the big, long row of aerobic machines, the free weights off in the corner, and the long rows of selectorized weight machines. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of times people, when they come in here, you can see the dismay. Uh, they look around and they think, well, there's not even a squat pack in here. Um, so uh, we have uh, quite a few kettlebells. We have a lot of medicine balls. Um, some treadmills, uh, and then we have a lot of climbing specific gear as well. Um, two climbing walls, um, and stall balls, and et cetera, but no typical, uh, equipment. I have to say, I actually have two sets of stall bars in my house. Oh, it's one right. of the, it's one of the best purchases I've ever made. Absolutely. They're so functional yeah. and versatile. Yes. I also have a set of gymnastic rings in my living room. Yeah, yeah. We have a few. We have five, four sets of gymnastics as well. So all of those things that you're describing is what some people would say. Oh, you're a functional movement gym. Would that be a correct terminology, or is that one of those terms that kind of makes you uh, cringe? 
it's a cringy term for sure. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, I mean, sure. If if, they, if if someone wanted to apply that title, that'd be that'd be fine with that. So, um, we typically do programming. We 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 get folks from the uh, local school here in AU. Um, so we get interns from some of their programs that will come work with us and we have to deprogram them for a few months they're here. Uh, and we just are like, try to unlearn what you just learned. <laughs> so uh, not, not everything you just learned, but just realize that it's a lot more plastic than uh, we give it credit for. I know I remember being at a endurance conference quite a few years ago and people were getting up there and putting graphs up and showing how they did undulating periodization and different types of periodization and a very well-known cycling coach who actually had the gold medalist in one of the events a few olympics back back i was talking to him at the break and i said what do you do and he said well basically if i want my cyclists to improve dramatically over time i double their mileage and i find that works pretty well before i start worrying about other things <laughs> so i think that's the the plasticity that you're referring to right so who is the typical client then of uh, Paragon Athletics? I mean, I know some people are going to walk in and as you said, it's like, well, if there's not a squat rack and other people, I would imagine if they're climbers or other types of outdoor athletes, you're going to walk in and say, oh, I feel right at home. Who's your main type of clientele that you try to market towards or you try to attract? You know, we have such a spectrum of folks here. It's, it's pretty interesting because we, we do have quite a few ath uh, elite athletes that we work with. Um, and uh, so you can come into one of our classes and be working beside bringing your, so, um, like professional athletes. Um, and then there might be two little grandmothers working right beside them doing something that is, looks a little similar to what they're doing, but it's just a little modified to meet them where they are. So it's a pretty big spectrum of folks. And out of curiosity, I'm assuming when you say professional athletes, you're not referring to most, for the most part, people of the big four sports, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, or am I incorrect in that? No. Uh, no we, we have quite a few endurance athletes that come here um, and uh, some climbers that are on that same level as well. Uh, and cyclists too. So we're, we're, we typically work with a lot of outdoor uh, sport folks, which makes sense for our area. And do they find you by word of mouth? Do they find you from advertising you do? Or how does the typical person find Paragon Athletics? No, it's all been word of mouth, just like you found us. Uh, so uh, we we are very good at what we do, we'd like to think, but we business is not our long suit. <laughs> we, have, we have over the last nine years, we've gotten a lot better at it. Um, but um, I think we, we have succeeded just because we really try hard to take care of folks. And I know one of the things that I, th from looking at the pictures on Instagram and on the webpage, probably do better of attracting people of that endurance realm or that outdoor realm than somebody who is maybe like you umpteen years ago training for high school football who walk in and say, wait, there's no bench. There's no, there's no weight stack. Right, right. And yeah. I... How do, how do the uh, the like the grandmothers that you described doing the workouts next to the endurance athletes? How do they find you? Because very often they are 
channeled and I'm probably overly classifying, but they're channeled either by their physical therapist when they finish after a hip replacement or they're channeled by their physician to more of a big box or maybe even a fitness facility that's associated with a hospital. I know a few years ago, quite a few years ago, I was in Flagstaff and I had knee surgery like 10 days before and I found a fitness facility that was associated with a hospital so I could continue my rehab. So how do they, how do the people who are the atypical gym members find you? Right. Um, you know, so we have built a very good relationship with, uh, some of the orthos here in town uh, and with the medical community here in town. Um, and thankfully we've earned their trust with people. And a lot of the folks that I work with now, and I, I don't, I only do one class a week now and I, I do one-on-ones primarily. Um, and those folks are a lot of times people that are working through musculoskeletal problems. Um, so um I think most of that trickle down comes from those encounters and rather than uh, like our culture. So they, you know, like this person um, came here, got help with their back pain and then went to, you know, their little friend and they're like, yeah, this place really helped me. And they end up coming, coming here together in a class. So you started it on a, some student loans and you rented a warehouse, people often wonder that's a big leap for going from having a job to being a business owner. How does, how does one do that? I mean, you, you, you find the space, which sometimes is easier is the easiest thing you do. Sometimes it's the hardest thing depending on real estate. What's the next step that you did then? I mean, you had this vision or idea, but is it what is what you envisioned what it is today or has it morphed incredibly? Yeah. The, the main concept hasn't morphed incredibly. Um, my knowledge base has, uh, is much greater than it was eight or 10 years ago. Um, even though at that time, uh, you know, in most settings, I would have sounded very knowledgeable. Um, and, and probably still, would, uh, even with just that amount of knowledge now. I mean, um, but because I have obsessed about knowing what I'm talking about, um, my knowledge base is probably the thing that's changed primarily. So we, a few years ago, um, about four or five years ago, we started looking at pain science. And that was really some of the stuff that um, changed how we look at what we do and uh, how we think it should look. I'm curious, you say you have a very good relationship with Northern Arizona University and you get interns and teaching in the university environment and having worked with interns, you kind of have the dichotomy of interns, the ones who come in who are just the sponges, they just want to learn and you might have to reprogram them a little bit, but you know, it's like, it doesn't matter what this lady or this man does, they're going to be successful whenever they do, just because they have that innate built-in curiosity. They just right. want to learn. It's like, wait, I want to talk to Ryan. Or I want to talk to this person. And then you have the other side or the person who comes in. It's like, well, this is what I learned in class. And this is the only way of doing it. We talked a little bit about this before we started recording. Yeah. Eventually, you have to hire people. And I see from your website, you have a, a few uh, employees. When you hired your first person, what were you looking for? 
or when you hire somebody, say six, six months down the line, you're looking to hire somebody, what are the things or the qualifications? Because some of the people listening to this are students or young professionals are going, you know, I want to change my job or like you, I want to end up in a mountain town and I realize I need to have a job to support my climbing habit. Right. <laughs> um, you know, our first employee, um, Laurel, uh, she, she was an athlete, but she did, had no background as uh, a trainer. And so she was kind of a blank slate in most regards, except for the fact that she is a pretty gifted athlete. So she and my wife uh, ran across the Grand Canyon yesterday, and one parked the car at the north rim and one parked the car at the south rim, and they crossed paths at the bottom and traded cars. But Laurel got back to the house. She was checking to see if Betsy was home yet, and her text message came home or went through about an hour and a half earlier than Betsy was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I say this with the utmost respect. I call those people genetic freaks. Yep. Yeah. Well, around here, they're the, the standard people. Yeah. So in this neck of the woods, um, yeah, pretty much everybody can do things like that. So, but yeah, we got, we picked up Laurel and it was, a lot of it was because, um, well, one of my friends, uh, uh, Steve Connect, who's the main foot and ankle ortho here in town, he suggested that we uh, hire her, actually. So, yeah, she was working, she had been working out with us for about a year and a half. Um, and then we were looking to pick somebody up, and Steve suggested that. So, uh, I'm curious as somebody involved in education and who sees a lot of students and is fairly involved in the profession, do you ever have interns who come in and you know, just from their attitude, man, this is going to be a problem intern, or this is somebody who's going to struggle in this field because they're so dogmatic. This is the way of doing it. You know, we have had, we've probably had one person that we had a hard time um, convincing, like there were other ways to come about health, you know, and training. Uh, but by the end of the semester, she had kind of come around, but, I understand people's skepticism um, when when there's something very novel, you know. I understand uh, scrutiny like that. I think it's valuable. I think we should all have some of that, you know. So, but uh, we haven't had any, like, standout problems uh, with any of our interns, now. We're talking with Ryan Whitehead. He's the owner of Paragon Athletics and Flagstaff. You mentioned that you don't have a squat rack. You mentioned that you are uh, – different than the big box gyms. So somebody may look at it. You've described your clientele as really broad based from elite athletes to the older lady who just wants to move again, probably so she can uh, shovel all the snow you're going to get. Yeah. But my, my question is, if somebody asks you, I'm going to join your gym, you know, the, my physician has recommended it, or my friend has said, man, you, you guys really helped me out. What are they going to do there? How is it going to differ from going to the typical gym where they work with a personal trainer? Let's just take, uh, I know you do classes and you do privates. Let's, let's talk about privates first. How is somebody's workout with you going to differ from joining a typical facility without naming names? You know, it really depends on who I'm working with and why. Um, so some of the people I work with are very elite 
people. Um, and then some of the folks that I work with, like I said before, are working through musculoskeletal niggles. Um, and that is one of my favorite things to do is um, to help people that have had a problem finding help. Uh, I sometimes end up with people, I affectionately call them the leftovers, um, where they've been kind of passed through a system where they haven't been able to resolve an issue. Um, and through word of mouth, they end up uh, coming to our facility and allowing me a chance to help. So, um, so it really just depends on uh, who I'm working with. And, you know, and I think having that adjustability um, is one of the greatest gifts. And, you know, if you can go, if you can switch from like working with um, an elderly person to the next hour uh, working with an elite athlete. Um, some day, some of my days are like that, you know, where uh, I'm, I'm working from hour to hour with ex the extremes of the spectrum. So, and then in a class, the class settings are, um, how we do our programming is we usually have a monthly emphasis. Um, so we send out a newsletter and we tell people, hey, this is our emphasis for this four to six weeks. Um, give an explanation of why we're going to ask them to do the things that uh, we're going to ask them to do. One, one month, our emphasis was mindfulness because uh, we know how, how big of a role uh, that can play in your pain and in your performance and everything being human, you know? So, uh, so that's part of the, our difference. And then also how that will be programmed into our weeks when people come. Uh, so, like we did eccentric load <laughs> was, was one of our uh, emphasis. And so we sit on a new newsletter. We tell people, you know, this is what can occur during eccentric load. And this is why we're going to ask you to do this as an emphasis this month, this uh, four to six weeks. So, um, so and then we program our days like that accordingly. So, uh, um, you know, we'll have people do pull-ups on our pull-up bars and eccentrically or, uh, we do a lot of uh, uh, movement that is kind of unique to us. Like we've been using skateboards uh, for load for years um, and they're just very useful uh, tools. We, I think we've been using those things for probably 15 years of it. So, um, but you can do amazing things with skateboards. Um, so, and then we do a lot of kettlebell, you know, classic kettlebell stuff too. Um, we actually do a kettlebell course. Um, um, uh, and that's that's kind of how our classes and days look. So the classes, the main goal is obviously to make people move with good technique and then specific to the person. If you've got the elite athletes you may have in the back of their mind, they've got this climbing competition coming up in two weeks and maybe eccentric, so much eccentric training isn't so good for them because they may still be recovering. Right. But on the other hand, this person over here they know that they need to get stronger because they're recovering from fill in your favorite injury. So it's very individualized. Yes, exactly. How, how large are your classes? Do you put a limit on the size of the classes or are you one of these facilities who, if you want to come, we'll let you come? No, we do try to limit our classes because we do so much um, uh, modification for folks. Uh, so for instance, like in some of our classes, for some reason this month, we we have three frozen shoulder people coming to our classes. So three folks uh, that have, have been diagnosed with frozen shoulder, 
So those people, they all get their own individualized programming in class. Uh, uh, they'll do something that looks kind of similar to the rest of the class, but um, you know, obviously they have some limitations. Um, so uh, we we try to meet people just kind of wherever they are at that time. You know, if something's not uh, very acute, then you can usually do that. So. And I'm curious, who does the programming for the classes? Do you do all the programming or do the individual instructors program for their own classes? No, we do uh, each, each uh, trainer does all of their own programming. We all, we all discuss our programming together um, so that they're, they work together. Uh, but there's only three of us also. So um, in Laurel, uh, Laurel actually worked under me for two years before she wrote her first class. So, um, and Brian, our other trainer, um, he, he spent quite a lot of time. He's, he's one of those self-starters too. He, he kind of saw what we were trying to do. He was one of our interns that realized, Oh, this is a super cool thing that these people are trying to do. Um, and, uh, really taught himself a lot and constantly asked me questions and constantly he voluntarily would come and just work with me for hours. Um, so he's just a remarkable employee as well. So, yeah. I know I've talked to a couple of physicians on both my podcasts and they by choice have gone into small practices. So what some might call concierge practices where they're only working with one or two. Mm -hmm. And one of them has said to me, it's like, you know, the nice thing about this versus the big, large conglomerate I used to work for is I used to, if I wanted to make a change there, it would have to get passed up the chain and passed down the chain. Now I go in and I talk to my partner after work and say, Hey, I want to do this and here's why. And it's either a, yeah, go for it or well, convince me. So it's much easier by being lean. It sounds like by having trainers who think the same way you are, unlike in some other facilities that are larger, you don't have to knock heads with the trainers if you all have the same goal. Right. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely um, part of the success. So otherwise, it just won't work. Plans for the future with Paragon Athletics that you'd like to share? Or? Um, you know, our message, I just, honestly, I, I, if there could be facilities like this, uh, available around the country, um, it would be such a huge advantage to our healthcare. So um, that's really our sharing this story is one of our biggest uh, plans. We've been talking to Ryan Whitehead. He's the owner of Paragon Athletics and Flagstaff. He did a good job of correcting me in the first interview when I say, so you make people move better. He said, no, I just want to make people move. And I think the message of moving to live explains why I wanted to have Ryan on the podcast because movement is part of what makes your life complete. Give it a listen, pull up the website, pull up their Instagram. Ryan, I want to thank you for talking to Moving to Live. I agree with you wholeheartedly that smaller facilities that are doing things differently and individualizing it are the wave of the future. So thank you for taking time for talking to us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, 
Apple Podcasts, and Google Play and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.